You're listening to the Spandex Power Armor Podcast. Never short of things to complain about. Hello, hello, and welcome back to this episode of Spandex Power Armor. This episode, we are taking uh, my interpretation of Tokusatsu to its most liberal, you know, extreme. That being anything that has any kind of special effects or explosions or suits, and we're doing it on Doctor Who. You hear that? That's the weeaboos screaming for our blood. It's technically Tokusatsu. Technically, you want to know yeah. something else? Anime also just means cartoon in Japanese, so, uh, yeah, you're going to suck on that. <laughs> so yeah, no, this episode we're going to talk about the second ever serial of Doctor Who, The Daleks, which is perhaps one of, if not the most important uh, Doctor Who story ever, even more so than the first one, because the first one almost got it cancelled. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, this story is so important because it introduced the scariest salt and pepper shakers in the world. So scary that I think it coined a term during the 70s or so about hiding behind the sofa when the Daleks come out. Because they were they were scary at the time. I'm glad you mentioned that because this is just a, a thing that has been niggling in the back of my mind since I first kind of heard of that whole hiding behind the sofa thing. Did people do that? Because yeah, I've heard, it's like some I've sort heard, of collective memory. Yeah, it's a collective memory, but I've never seen any proper evidence of it. Like, is that just a thing people say? Like, I love you? It doesn't really happen. <laughs> it doesn't really have any bearing on reality. They just say it to make you feel better. Ah, post-breakup 2019 me would agree with you, but no, I'm thinking that it was a thing. It's a thing that kids do. Obviously, it's not something that would happen nowadays, but back then, when oh, with our generation people of hard, were more... badass children... <laughs> yeah, when people were a bit more easily spooked, and especially because the Daleks were quite scary. Because I wasn't there, I'm not properly aware of uh, kind of cultural norms and how things were back then on account of the fact that I wasn't there. But it just kind of, I don't know, it's one of those things where I find it hard to get my head into that headspace where a Dalek would legitimately scare me. Like the implications of a Dalek existing in real life, yes, I could, I would be scared if I met a Dalek in real life and it was real and it was there. I'd be scared, but seeing one on my, you know, TV, eh. You must have been a very unimaginative child. Gotta be quite, it's quite a vivid thing. It's like, oh no, the Daleks are coming in. The Doctor could get zapped. What the hell's that sucker thing for? R right, right, but I was also fictionally literate. I knew that the main character wasn't going to you know, die partway through, you know? I mean, that does happen sometimes, but not very often. Looking back at the old Dalek designs, I can totally see why they were quite scary, especially during the, was it either the 70s or 80s, where they had that sort of pupil thing on the eye stalk? You mean like just a little black dot in the middle? Yeah. Yeah. That's quite unnerving. Yeah, just on the subject of Dalek designs, I mean, we can both agree that the Imperial Daleks from, you know, the 80s era was best, right? You know, the white and gold ones? Oh, they were pimping. Oh, they man. were amazing-looking Daleks. Everything, like ivory and golden Daleks, just inspired. Hmm. What was your thought on the Dalek design when they brought it back? I thought it was quite classy. Get rid of the rivets, and I'm absolutely down to clown 100%. Not that the rivets are a particularly big deal-breaker, but it's just like if I had to have a niggle... It would be that. Um, 
I guess the colour as well. Bronze is fine, but I like I like silver and blue. Oh come on, you got to go a for a little um, sci-fi art deco. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong; it is not a bad design. If the way they brought the Daleks back was flawless in absolutely every single way that matters, it's just me being a nitpicker. This episode's going to be nothing but nitpicking, especially when we start comparing this Ooh. classic to yeah. the uh, later iterations well, actually, of the This would be a perfect opportunity for me to establish myself that I'm not just 100%, you know, boomer. Like, I can criticise old things too. So this will be good for me. This will be a nice exercise in criticising stuff from, uh, from the 60s. The first serial with the Daleks was pretty early into the initial run of Doctor Who. I think it followed the first arc where they introduced all the characters. So you've got the Doctor, you've got Susan, you've got the first companions. And mm -hmm. yeah, so it's still fairly early in the development for these characters. And they just... The writers weren't aware at the time how much of an impact this show was going to have. I'm glad that they didn't dump the footage like they did with so much old stuff. Oh, poor Patrick Troughton. A load of his library was just... The only reason we have some of it is because they kind of copied it and sent it overseas to be um, yeah, to be broadcast there. I think we got a bunch wow. of it from Hong Kong. Like, no one was expecting that. Uh, we've got the audio from everything, though. Uh, hang on, was it... I think maybe Marco Polo was mostly lost, though, including the audio. I could be wrong on that one. Uh, but no, the audio for a lot of stuff was kept because uh, you got people recording it at home to be able to listen back to it. Like, they didn't have VHSs, let alone VHS recorders or anything like that, so they'd record the audio and listen back to it as, like, a uh, an unnarrated audio play, basically. Not all heroes wear capes, wow. Yeah. I know. That's that's the only reason we've got an archive of some episodes. It's it's amazing. Uh, Crossgrove Hall have been commissioned to kind of reanimate, um, you know, go back and reanimate them, and it's fine, but it's, you know, low-budget Cosgrove Hall animation. It's not much better than the webcasts they did of, like, um, Scream of the Shulker or um, Sharda, unfortunately. Hmm, that's a shame. As you mentioned, this is incredibly early on in the doc. Like I said, it was the um, there was a second serial they did after an unearthly child, so it carries on immediately after that. And these characters are still very new, and I just love it. So uh, before we get too embedded in the uh, you know, going through the plot and going through the character dynamics, I just want to give a bit of background, uh, a bit of background details on it. So it stars William Hartnell as the Doctor, the first. Um, first character to play that role and he's got a very i think you um how familiar were you before you watched the daleks with kind of classic especially first doctor you know doctor who not much i think in terms of hartnell i may have watched this initial daleks one mm. ages ago um i'm more familiar with troughton i'd watched some of the stuff with the cybermen so Sick. i'm more familiar with the second third fourth doctor than the rest of the classics Hmm. So what did you make of um, William Hartnell compared to some of the later ones? I like seeing the initial plan for the Doctor's personality. He was very mm. much an old man who was really just doing it all for himself. And he just was... Well, That's I know that's the thing that is true with some other incarnations. But th for this, it was definitely an old man who is very prone to mistakes. Yeah. 
Um, I I absolutely adore William Hartnell, and I agree he's definitely very kind of... He's not as infallible or... What's the word I'm looking for? He, he's, he's not hyper-competent as he's come to be now. He is... Obviously, they hadn't properly fleshed out his whole backstory. He was still meant to be quite mysterious, and I'm not... Sh- no, no, they did intend from day one for him to be an alien, I'm pretty sure. He's but downright he... selfish at times. Even yes. during this serial, he gets people to come into the Dalek city with him just because he wanted to have a look around under the pretense of them needing something from it. Yep, I... I... I like the first Doctor because he is in many ways quite immature because um, he is the youngest Doctor and the timeless child can just go hang. I will not... Anyway, he is the youngest incarnation of the Doctor that matters. And so compared to his older ones, he can come across as quite um, graceless and immature. And I don't. that was absolutely not the plan. Because they only came up with regeneration when it came time, you know, when it came time to think about it with the tenth planet. Uh, it's, it's just one of those things that just kind of—it's just one of those happy little accidents, I guess. That you can kind of just kind of fit it into the retroactive lore of the series. Yeah, frankly, follow- this lore is very malleable. You can do whatever the hell you want to retcon as much as you like. Okay, but but just because you can, that doesn't mean you should, Chibnall. It doesn't mean you should. <laughs> So, um, starring alongside William Hartnell is William Russell, who plays Ian Chesterton. He's a, uh, he's a, you know what, I've completely blanked. Uh, he's a science, was he the history teacher? Ian and Barbara were both teachers. One did history, one did science. I can never remember which one did which. Um, but that was, that was to tie in with the kind of, the theme of the show. It was originally meant to be an educational show, and so... The Doctor would transport them from location to location, and depending on where they'd go, they were in the past or the future, it would be teaching them basic scientific or historical stuff. And so that's Ian like a Barbara... slightly more dangerous The Magic School Bus. Are you saying that The Magic School Bus wasn't dangerous? A child died, or very <laughs> nearly died. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Ian and Barbara would be there to kind of... Uh, provide input based on their respective fields of expertise, and Susan was there to be lectured to, basically. Kind of makes sense, especially because this was early days for television programming. Mm. Uh, William William, uh, William Russell, not Hartnell. Why were they both called William? Why would you do this to me? Names? There can only be one William existing in the universe at any time to prevent (laughs) confusion. This is, that's why any time yeah. I come across another Joe, I immediately slaughter them without mercy. There can be only one. Highlander taught me this, all right? I learned it from TV, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, William Russell was cast. Uh, they wanted uh, a more kind of spry, younger man, uh, but not so young that he wasn't also seen as a kind of an authority figure as well, to kind of handle the heavy lifting on account of the fact that William Hartnell was cast as a very elderly and, you know, learned man rather than And you can't have a woman do any physical tasks in the 60s? No. Now, funny you should mention that. Carolyn Ford believed that that was the kind of role she would get as the companion. She was told it would be more kind of action-oriented. She'd be allowed to hold her own, and then she just wasn't able to. Oh, man, that sucks. Oh, that sucks. Uh, But William Russell um, was was fairly well known before that. He was um, he had roles in The Great Escape, The Man Who Never Was. He had a very minor role in Superman, nineteen seventy eight. He was also uh, known in the U.S. in the TV show The Adventures of Sir Lancelot, 
Uh, Jacqueline Hill played Barbara. I really like these characters. Um, I don't think they get enough credit. This is just a little pet peeve of mine. People don't give uh, Ian and Barb enough of uh, enough recognition, I guess, is the word I'm looking for, for how they mellowed and shaped the Doctor's character from there forwards. Like the, I'm going to ignore the retcon um, in the Seventh Doctor. I can never remember which one it is it Revelation or so some are words in the nation of the Daleks where um, the Doctor went back to hide the hand of Omega. There, I, I, I don't. I don't care for that being all part of his plan. Um, the Doctor originally was on Earth just to be on Earth. He had no initial kind of ties to this planet. He had no real love of it. And it was the influence of Ian and Barbara that kind of made him fall in love with humanity after that. And I don't think people... I don't know. I, just, I, I like Ian and Barbara and I want everyone else to love Ian and Barbara as well. Damn it. <laughs> Accept my opinion as fact and gospel. And rounding out our... Uh, what would it be? Quartet? Yeah, quartet is the word I'm looking for. Is Carolyn Ford as the Doctor's granddaughter, Susan Foreman. Is, Foreman isn't her surname. She just got it from the uh, from, from the junkyard they landed in. And I don't even think Susan is a real name either, because that would be a weird name for an alien. Oh, uh, okay, so the, Wumble's rules. Yep. Uh, she's the titular unearthly child from the first serial, and she continues to be the uh, designated damsel in distress from here forwards until she leaves in the Dalek invasion of Earth. I feel so bad for her, because I, I like Susan as a character, and she had so much more potential if they'd let her do what she thought she was going to be able to do, which was just I don't know, someone a bit more com- confident and who could kind of hold... I don't think they promised her like an action role, but they certainly didn't tell her that she was going to be shrieking grandfather every third word, you know? It was the 60s. That's just the unfortunate side effect of it. Uh, this is a perfect opportunity for a little little segue I was hoping I'd be able to do. You say that, however, the producer of Doctor Who was Verity Lambert, one of, if not the first uh, producer at the BBC at the time. You would think, I mean, I guess there's a lot of kind of cultural expectations, but you would have thought... Surprised it didn't go whole hog and give the TARDIS a kitchen. Well, it, it does. Probably. Well, it's got a, a little dinky food generator thing. Oh, yeah, but I mean, like, it probably has a proper kitchen somewhere. Just stick Susan and Barbara in the TARDIS's kitchen. Any shot of them in the TARDIS, they're just in the kitchen. It's like that, um, what was it, that Connect 4 box where you got the, uh, the dad and the son playing a, a game while the daughter and mother are in the <laughs> kitchen, smiling on benevolently as they wash the dishes. It's amazing how casual that stuff was. Like, you didn't need to include those two on that box. Why did you? It was a really bizarre time for marketing and representation. I quite like Susan in the Daleks one. She was always there to be the... Is the correct term wild card? Because she was bright and <laughs> occasionally was insightful. Oh, 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 oh. oh sorry. Um, sorry, wild card and Susan are not the two words I associate with you sorry it just i immediately got a flash of you know that um that episode of it's always sunny in philadelphia <laughs> where charlie is designated the wild card i just i just, just want... tries to blow everything <laughs> so you know it's not the doctor it's susan who takes out the fluid link in the tardis and she just jumps out the doors wild shouting, card wild <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> Oh, 
man, if anyone hasn't seen that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, we're going to sound like a bunch of loons. Watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It, it's funny. That's my short little mini review of Always Sunny. It's fun. It makes me do the big lol. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the next person, well, the, the last person really we need to talk about who kind of contributed to this uh, iconic bit of BBC... Not BBC, damn it. British... I should not supplement the two. Uh, this British icon and institution is Terry Nation, who created the Daleks and continues to own them somehow. I don't know how the BBC don't own the trademark for the Daleks. Is he really? Oh, no, yeah. the te- Well, I mean, he doesn't anymore. He came down with a dire case uh-huh. of death in 97. Uh, but the Terry Nation <laughs> estate continues to own the Daleks to this very day. Wow. So do they actually need to get permission for each appearance in does that mean that yep. they can do whatever the hell they want with it? They can include it in other things? And Wow. Well, yeah, that, that's how we got the uh, the two Peter Cushing Dalek movies. The oh, first of yeah. which adapts this TV story. He uh, he really wanted, he, he wanted to make a Dalek TV series, which would have been interesting. Uh, you know, uh, Terry Nation, uh, he used to uh, write for Tony Hancock, apparently, as well. Uh, I was oh, watching wow. a uh, I was watching a feature... Uh, the B- the the DVDs for the classic Doctor Who are fantastic. Like they always have at least one little mini documentary on the making of it, a commentary track from at least one cast member, and like some production crew. It, it they they do really good releases. One of them they 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 mentioned that Terry Nation was still working for Tony Hancock, who I absolutely adore and is a personal kind of inspiration of mine, except for you know how that particular story ended. That's not inspiring at all. Oh. Um, but no, he, 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 he got the request to write for Doctor Who. And at the time, it was, a, um, it, it was seen as a kid's show, basically. And he, mm. he, he went to Tony Hancock about it, and they were just kind of like, oh, yeah, they want me to write a kid's show. <laughs> and then later on, Tony Hancock fired him. And he went crawling back to the BBC, asking very nicely if they wouldn't mind letting him write that Doctor Who episode after all. If he's going to write for kids, he's going to scare them behind the sofa. It, it's shocking that he may, managed to make something so iconic. Not that he, he wasn't capable, but he just, you know, from someone who was so kind of reluctant to do it, to make something so massive. I mean, Dalek, we kind of forget these days, but Dalek Mania was huge in the 60s. Dalek Mania. Dal- yeah, no, that's what it's called, Dalek Mania. Was, this was, an actual, was that an actual cultural phenomenon that happened? Yes. I'm not kidding. Dalek mania is the official word for it, and it was a big, 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 big old thing. Well, I can totally see it's a very toyetic design, pretty simple, easy to market. True, but this was before toyetic-ness. Like, I'm pretty sure the only Doctor Who toys for ages would have been, um, would have been Daleks. Well, they're present in the zeitgeist. When you mention Doctor Who to anyone, the first thing that's going to come to their mind is, oh yeah, Daleks. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things. And so, yeah, I can I can totally see why Dalek Mania would have happened. I just don't like the word. Dalek Mania doesn't really kind of roll off my tongue as well as some other words do. Oh well. Just trying to think of some alternatives. Hmm. Yeah, no, there are really no alternatives, are there? Dalek Mania is really the best we can do with this kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. I'm I'm just seriously sitting here scratching my head. I mean, yeah, Sodic Mania, that's just a perfect thing to stick on the end. Yeah. Dalek Geddon? No? Hmm. No. This is why I don't work in marketing. Uh, so that's our kind of um, behind-the-scenes 
well, I say behind the scenes, it, we just name dropped a few people and I waffled on them. Uh, them, them, some of the big names who contributed to making this what it is. Now we can talk about the fun stuff. What actually happens in this? Well, we can't really say episode, serial, story arc, that kind of thing. A whole lot of fannying about with some nice Dalek scenes in between. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, elephant in the room. Old Doctor Who is paced like oh, it isn't paced. You will get some really good stuff early on and some really good stuff at the end and then a whole lot of nothing in the middle. The first episode of An Unearthly Child, fantastic. And then as soon as you go to the caveman time period, whatever, I can't remember when it was exactly, it it really kind of drags because cavemen aren't fun. Caves aren't engaging. Cavemen, they just want fire. And they have to work out whether or not they should give them fire. It's just not engaging. Just watch the first episode and be done with it. Maybe by the Oh, cave sets are cheap. So are quarries in Wales. That's the reason why the pacing is absolutely glacial. It's it's the budget. Mm. It's unfortunate, yes. but it also means they get to innovate every now and then. Yeah, the the so for, for those of you who aren't kind of that well-versed in Doctor Who, um, in the classic series you'd get a... You wouldn't get like one 45-minute episode or maybe two... 45-minute episodes to tell a story like you do these days. Uh, what you would get is, to begin with, it was like the the Daleks was uh, seven episodes each 25 minutes long. Um, and it was kind of roughly about that. Um, I think the War Games was ten episodes long. I think that's one of the longest wow. ones they did. Yeah. No, War Games is fantastic. It is absolutely great, but it is long as hell. So they would... They'd stretch the stories out for that long to, well, stretch their budgets out as long as possible. They would make their sets, they'd make the costumes, they'd hire their actors, they'd do, they'd work out the makeups, the special effects, and then they would just use them as much as is you know, tolerable before making the next one, which is totally fine. And it worked. And when you're watching these things once a week, it's not that much of a, you know, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, you're watching this mm. once a week. You're not binge-watching it like we did. When you binge-watch it, it sucks. When you're watching it once a week, eh, it's probably all right. Yeah, it's horrible when you binge-watch it. Didn't we watch The Silurians oh. one hungover morning? Oh, no. Yeah, no, The Silurians... I don't think we ever finished it. Mentally, I'm still there. I'm still watching just people talking in a room. Mead. I think it was mead. Maybe ginger wine. Knowing us, probably both. Could have been ginger wine. We have weird tastes in booze. We had a. I know I had a stinking headache. And. How many episodes was the Silorians? I will check for us. Because it feels like. have to stick like... on one DVD. Let's have a look see. Now that was heavy on the filler. Right, let's have a look see. Doctor Who and the Silurians. Where is the episode list? Da, da, da. Seven episodes, 25 minutes each. Exactly as long as Doctor Who and the Daleks. And yet, ah. it's it feels so much longer. I maintain that most classic Doctor Who um, serials can be re-edited down into something more akin to a feature-length thing, or, or maybe like two... It, Definitely, you can strip can away so many B-plots and just focus on the meat. And you can make something entertaining, you can make... That would be a nice project, well, actually. You can make something that you can actually show kids and they won't get bored about. Yeah. We... 
An issue I have, and I know a lot of other classic Doctor Who fans have, is that it's very hard to share classic Doctor Who with non-fans. It's because a bit of a slow massive, burn. Yeah, there's a massive hurdle to get over. Because you can get some really, really, really good stuff. Like Genesis of the Daleks, really good. Also, you know, it's a classic Doctor Who serial. It's lengthy. Of course, you could always watch uh, show them something a bit more condensed, like the Doctor Who TV movie. Everyone's favourite. I can only vaguely recall that. Do you, do you remember who else is in it? Eric Roberts. Really? Eric Roberts plays the master. Oh, wow. Yep. Well, it's cementing in my mind the fact that Eric Roberts will do anything as long as some form of money is involved. Do you want to know what else he has been in? Do tell. A talking cat! Exclamation point, question mark. I think the correct pronunciation of the title is A Talking Cat! Yeah, yeah. I just didn't want to give it any more effort than it warrants, which is no effort. Well, I mean, if you like money, you can definitely star in A Talking Cat! Um, Yeah. I hate that movie, and I hate the director behind it, but that is a tangent for another day, because I will rant at length. I'm now googling man. a talking... Wait, do you hate a talking cat, or do you hate the Doctor Who movie? Oh, no, I, I like the Doctor Who movie. It is an absolute guilty pleasure. I just hate the director of a talking cat! Exclamation mark. Question mark. Ah, no. I'm googling it now. It's actually a talking cat! Exclamation mark. Question mark. Exclamation mark. You, do you see? That's how, that's how deep my apathy goes. You, you missed out the final piece of punctuation. Yeah, no, it's, uh, for, for those of you who don't know, it's a movie by uh, David Dakota, and I hate that man so much. Uh, actually, maybe I should um, explain this. He is known for doing... Um, what's the most polite way of putting this? Uh, softcore homoerotic erotica. Now, I don't hate him because of that. Uh, if, you, if you want to produce that, if that is what you want to create, it is no business of mine. It's not my thing, but I do not... Okay, look, I, I don't like him because he made a movie called Bigfoot vs. D.B. Cooper. Okay? Oh. Now, that is a fantastic idea for a film. You can make a really, 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 really good, really schlocky Predator ripoff, okay? Because you've got D.B. Cooper, who has, like, uh, a couple of grand and uh, potentially a bomb in a briefcase in the middle of the woods, and also Bigfoot. If you have Bigfoot tracking down D.B. Cooper and trying to kill him, and D.B. Cooper fighting for his life, and all he has to defend himself is a sharp suit... A parachute, some money, and a bomb. That'd be fantastic, but that's not what it is at all. It's a bunch of, it's a bunch of twinks, running around the forest shirtless and changing their shorts. And the f- okay, I that, hate is, that is incredibly odd as a guise for something softcore. I know, I know. It didn't have to be that way. He, he could have just made some normal. He could have just made some normal stuff. Just, just, like, they're there on a hunting trip, right? Just just have a hunting trip movie. You don't have to include something as badass as Bigfoot versus D.B. Cooper. That sounds like a completely different movie. I'm looking at his it filmography, should've... and surely you can... His earlier stuff was a bit less subtle, like Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Ballerama, or Again, Beach he Babes has these... from Beyond. Yeah, these are all Test fantastic tube ideas. Teens from the year 2000. What part of that does not sound great? I don't get me wrong, something like Test Tube Babes from Yada Yada, or Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Ballerama, yeah, that, that, that absolutely should be some weird smut stuff. But Bigfoot versus D.B. Cooper should be more, and it never will be anymore. I'm surprised that a talking cat, exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark, 
doesn't include more topless guys. Oh, it includes two. Does it? Have you? Yeah. I love how you have that info. Oh, yeah. Well, look, David Dakota is my nemesis. I need to know these things about him. You've got a big enemy list, haven't you? If you ask any more questions, you'll also make that list. I hate David Dakota. Anyway, I shall uh, I shall lock that uh, particular psychosis away back in its in the trunk in the back of my mind for now. We Is Bigfoot versus D.B. Cooper Tokusatsu technically? Um, no, I mean it's got a suit. It's a bit of a stretch. Oh, incredibly <laughs> a stretch. Anyway, Doctor Who. That's something I like. Something well, well, not anymore. Thanks, Chippers. That's something I can like in. Uh, oh, I hate the fact that I have to add that qualifier. I, Doctor and the Daleks is good. There. Review over. Goodbye, everybody. So did we actually get anywhere on the plot synopsis? Or uh, were we just fanning no, about the structure of it? No, we haven't even got to the plot. We... Okay. Yeah. Plot synopsis. Uh, the, the, the Doctor and, and co. get to Scaro. Ooh, that rhymed. Uh, they, they weren't meant to go there. The Doctor just kind of doesn't like going where he's meant to. He purposefully just doesn't read the the uh, directions properly is basically what susan said he just kind of lets things go now he's he the wild card i take it back yeah there we go i can see the doctor saying wild card in some contexts screaming wild card bitches then the sound <laughs> of the tardis's engine <laughs> so yeah no they, they land on skyro and i think ian and barb were kind of expecting to be returned to 1963 london and when you get to a post-apocalyptic hellscape you could be forgiven for you. You could be forgiven for them, kind of you know, expect you know, initially thinking that they were back in London. It is the south of England, after all. You're not, dude. We're in the Midlands. Stop going full north on us. Yeah, look, just because you're from the Midlands doesn't mean I have to act like it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they they get there and uh, they kind of stumble through a petrified jungle, which is is not jungle forest. Two different biomes. Uh, it, it's it's nice. I really like the idea of a petrified forest as the result of some horrifying cataclysm. I've also got like a petrified animal and stuff like that. It's it's a nice little set piece. Um, and they they stumble upon a city in the distance, and the doctor decides that above all else, he really really wants to check out that city at everyone else's expense. Damn the consequences. He is going to go to that city. It's big and it's shiny. Yes. Well, the, the, he is an old man after all. He, he's probably... He's probably not all there, bless him. The, to the point where he will sabotage the TARDIS to convince them to go... You know, to pop around the corner and ask them very kindly for a cup of mercury. <laughs> but of course, going there introduces us to the Daleks. Now, even if you're not a fan of Doctor, you know what the Daleks are. We've gone over this. Big big bad pepper pots with an egg whisk on one side and a sink plunger on the other. Was it actually an egg whisk for the original? No, 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 it, it just kind of looks like it. I'm being facetious. Yeah. There's always one thing that interests me, like, in the really old Dalek designs, they had, like, mm -hmm. a moving component to the gun. Oh, kind of shoots out. Yeah, yeah it's you just, like... Flashes out. It's That's, because yeah. they hadn't they hadn't made like the beam rotoscope out of it yet, so they needed to show not only which Dalek was shooting, but that it was shooting. 
Oh, that's and having something poke out would would do that. I'm I'm assuming. I do not know for sure, but that follows. That's that's why they put the little um, light bulbs on the top to show which Dalek was talking. So, you know, the actors would know who to look at and who to react to. It's also the reason why the Daleks kind of shuffle about when they're talking, just to add a bit of you know, you know, a bit a bit of dynamic movement in there. Otherwise, it's just you know, some novelty cupboards standing around yeah you know, one thing i found was oh actually no we need to keep going on the pod stops we keep getting sidetracked um <laughs> so wrestling my train of thought back on track to the uh the brief plot synopsis they go to the dalek city they ask them very nicely if they wouldn't mind parting with some mercury and they end up getting kidnapped and uh that when they get to the city it's the ending of that first episode is one of if not the most famous kind of cliffhangers in Doctor Who and Doctor Who's known for its decent cliffhangers it's um, Barbara is trapped and you know is, is looking around and then she looks at the camera and reacts to something horrible just seen off screen and I'm pretty sure you can see like a plunger come into view and then she just kind of starts screaming and then yeah, wah, 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 and then the Doctor Who's um, theme starts coming in absolutely that iconic that was the end of the first one wasn't it yep yeah, I'm trying to recall now because the pacing was so slow. I'm thinking, now was that the first episode? Did they manage to crash? <laughs> did they manage to pack that in so they could have two sets at once, or did they delay it long enough to last two episodes? Now, thankfully, that was the first episode. The first episode is pretty decently paced. Actually, the first two episodes are pretty decent actually, and then things kind of start to drag out in the middle. So yeah, no, mm. um, we were introduced to the Daleks after, uh, as they kind of capture our uh, our protagonists. And they keep them in a holding cell, and they they try and f- they're trying to figure out why they're there because at this point Daleks aren't aware of you know aliens of the world and space travel and junk like that. So they're assuming that they're remnants of the other race of Skyro called the Thals, who should have um, if they have survived rather they reason that they should have some kind of immunity to the radiation poisoning their world, which is currently poisoning our protagonists. And so they're wondering why these bots here, if they can survive independently. Now we previously saw evidence of the Thals as they left a box of drugs for the uh, for the for yeah for the guys, and one of them also tried to speak to Susan before you know scaring her off like a frightened deer. So they end by this point. There's like a decent amount of back and forth. They send Susan out to get. The uh, they send Susan out to get the drugs, then she meets up with the Thals, and they give her the skinny on what uh, what exactly the haps is with Scaro. Uh, she takes the drugs back. The Daleks allow them to get you know get their fix and stop dying of radiation poisoning. And then they go, they get Susan to write a letter to the Thals, and then they get the Thals to go to the city, and then they ambush the Thals and kill their leader. And then the Thals retreat, and then the Doctor and the you know, his bunch escape, meet up with the Thals, and then they try and go back to it. Like I said, there's a lot of back and forth, and it, this is where your uh, your fanning about came into play. In that, there is a very simple story here where the if they was done more efficiently, the the Thals would come and be ambushed, and in the ensuing chaos, the TARDIS crew would escape, regroup with the Thals, and then plan their kind of assault on the Dalek city, and it would be so much cleaner. But it wasn't. It, 
is back and forth and back and forth, reusing all the sets they built because, God damn it, they're going to get their money's worth. You could strip so many subplots from that. Speaking of their money's worth, the four Daleks cost £260, I think, to make. I have no idea what that is in uh, in today's money. I'm not calculating that like I did last time. But it, it probably was more then than it is now. Man, if I went back in time, I could make... Uh, I can make several Daleks with the money I've got. Knowing that adds nothing to my life. So the plot is not the deepest, but it has some pretty decent themes that I picked up on. There, and some, some not conflicting ones, but some surprisingly grey ones for what was meant to be an educational family show. Uh, for example, so there's definitely a kind of pro, um, kind of anti-war message Clearly, you know, Skyro is the result of a, a cataclysmic um, genocidal battle between two peoples. Oh, definitely. Uh, there is a kind of anti-nuclear thing as well because of the, um, you know, the ever-present radiation hanging over the protagonist's heads in the first couple of episodes. But then there's also this kind of grey take on pacifism. The Thals are absolute pacifists initially. Um, and the... What's the best way of... Uh, how, do I, how do I want to word this? Initially, one of the other Thals is kind of sceptical of the Daleks' intentions um, within, you know, inviting them to the in, into the city. And he just... They still go along with it, but he, he voices his doubts. And he, even though everyone else is like, yes, let's hope for peace. Let, let's trust the Daleks. And I, I found that interesting, that they didn't just go for a clear cut. Assume the best, people. Strive for hope. Strive for peace, all that kind of thing. There was like, yeah, hope for peace, but also, you know, sometimes just people aren't great, and you gotta, you know, you gotta anticipate that, which, which I appreciated. It's kind of this measured pacifism. Yeah, what was it? Uh, speak softly and carry a big stick. Sometimes you just need to ice somebody to keep the peace. Basically, yeah. Uh, fortunately, these people aren't exactly people. They are little. Oh, what's that shellfish? I keep saying they look like. Um, Cockles. They look like cockles in pepper pots. So you can you can pretty easily dehumanize them. You can't see their real eyes. It's fine. I don't even think Dalek um, mutants should have eyes. I'm just going to go out there. I don't think they should have eyeballs. They should be completely vestigial blobs of flesh that are wired into their machines permanently. I do not like the modern interpretation of them as being squids. They should just be flesh. Again, I have some really weird nitpicks. This doesn't really lessen or cheapen their impact. I do not know why I have these opinions. <laughs> the only sight of a Dalek mutant we had in this serial was, I think it's some bloke wearing a glove just under the... Was it was it a blanket or it was a rug it's or a something? Cloak. It's a cloak, yes. Wow, you don't see cloaks anymore. It's just, yeah, yeah under a okay. cloak. You just see some, like, it's like a little hand or something. Just a little bit of movement. <laughs> tangent, tangent. People should bring back cloaks and capes. The biggest mistake we've made as a society is abandoning that particular aspect of fashion. Okay, we should bring back cloaks and capes. Thank you for listening to my TED Talk, everyone. I know, I appreciate the themes. There's also a, uh, a kind of an anti-racist um, take here because the Thals are unable to comprehend why the Daleks just hate them and will not work with them and will not tolerate their existence. And uh, Ian described it as a dislike for the unlike. And I thought that the Dalek xenophobia in this episode was very, uh, what's the word, realistic. 
if slightly why do words escape me more um amplified than you would find in reality usually uh, so usually because you know the nazis kind of set the bar when it came to xenophobia well you've got to exaggerate a little so you True. get the message across i mean these are very clear nazi stand-ins by the way i mean I probably should have said that earlier, but I kind of thought it went without saying, but I should probably say it at some point. I recognise the fact that the Daleks are meant to be Nazis. I'm not that uh, illiterate. So uh, they, the Daleks are not as kind of kill them all, shoot on sight, exterminate, exterminate. They, I think they only say exterminate like twice in this episode. They yeah. take the Titus crew in and then they use... It's not that the Daleks will not use lesser... Well, not lesser beings. What they see as lesser beings for their own ends, but they do not shoot them on sight as you would expect more modern ones to do, especially since this is the first time, production-wise, that they've seen the Doctor. Their hatred of the Thals is more realistically uh, based, like Ian said, a dislike for the unlike. The Thals are completely different life forms to them, and so they no longer... Yeah, they no longer recognize them as being like them and just do not want them. They kind of see themselves as singular upon that rock called Scaro. And they're not... I don't know, maybe it's the fact that the scope of their xenophobia is uh, is localized entirely within uh, that planet rather than like on, on a galactic or universal scale as subsequent episodes or stories would show them to be. Definitely. Their motives are a little more practical in this serial, as their main reason for wiping out the Thals is purely for the survival of the Daleks. Previously, they didn't really care about them until... Actually, actually they did. I take that back because they were trying to steal the Thals' uh, drugs to survive all the radiation damage. Then they found out, oh no, actually, we need the radiation to survive. Let's nuke the planet. And that, I mean, that, that's, I think that bit, I mean, we give the Daleks a bad rep, but that's pretty reasonable. Haven't we all stolen our neighbours' drugs just to, you know, survive again it, it's weird the word i keep thinking of is reasonable it is absolutely not reasonable but it is reasonable to assume is reasonable to believe is what i'm saying that a group would get like that it is not a reason unfortunately i kind of feel like i have to specify what i mean by reasonable i find it reasonable to believe that they could exist not that they're you know beliefs are reasonable absolutely they're not it's kind of interesting that the um, the object of the uh, xenophobic totalitarian collectivist community is Aya is a community of Aryan Chads and Stacys. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that was done with irony, probably. Like the the people who were discrimination isn't quite the right word. The the target of this kind of renewed genocide appear to be the standard of the last well I say last by that point the most recent um, kind of attempted genocide you know their side's kind of ideal of you know what should be preserved and striven for striven for strived one of those words was probably right (laughs) you know I mean again that's I don't know is that tasteless I don't know it was the 60s Loads of things were tasteless back in the 60s. Like the fact they used to put gelatin in stuff. No, no, stuff Uh in gelatin. Oh, yes. What's the term? Aspic. Aspic, yeah. Have you you seen seen those cookbooks? 
there were whole cookbooks for things that you could shove in gelatin. I know there are some communities on the internet who are just like, you know what, let's stick random things in aspic. Like, just there's this one that's just full of dentures. Yeah, right, but that's just, that's for, you know, that's for giggles. This is for actual eating and human consumption. Post-war English food was not good. Ah, they did in the US as well. That's because Americans yeah, no, had no culture post- at that time. They were they were blindly looking for something they could make their own. We're like, does this work? I don't and know. And then they saw Vietnam. As far as the kind of cultural impact of Doctor Who, the Daleks, goes, I mean, I have to... I know I've been calling it Doctor Who and the Daleks, but that is absolutely wrong. It's Doctor Who, the Daleks. Because Doctor Who and the Daleks was the first Peter Cushing movie. Colon. And this No! You okay, uh, so... This episode, this series was originally going to be called The Mutants, and I think that was absolutely much better as the title because both the Thals, in their you know Alpha Chad perfection, are mutants as well as the the Daleks. I think they they mentioned that the weirdly enough the Thals kind of looped back around in some weird kind of horseshoe evolutionary thing where they go through this weird subhuman mutation phase and then they just came out as perfect again i don't quite recall the daleks just never did i know it's no, no, they like absolutely did years i thought they said it was hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm, sure they gave a specific yeah. time frame like 500 years but they did mention Blimey. i'm on wikia now that's Fight a me. lot of evolution fine then i bow to your superior knowledge yep 500 years there was a great big neutron bomb war those were chucking bombs at yeah. daleks and yeah I mean, you'd kind of want to write, to wipe out the people who chucked bombs at you and made you all mutants. Probably, yeah. Especially if they survived the bomb and they just turned into a race of alpha chads. I'd want to exterminate them too. Oh no, does this mean... Does this mean the Daleks are incels? Yes. <laughs> I want to pepe you. Hemoid detected! <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Davros is just sat in his in his in his little wheelie chair, bemoaning his his substandard like jawline. <laughs> yeah, they're they're, ah, they're really highly Stacey black. Stacy shall never love me. <laughs> I shall create a race of super beings in my image, in the image of the black pill. <laughs> <laughs> Any women that they kidnap are put into giant jars. Oh, me oh my. Speaking of Davros, um, yeah, his stories are generally pretty good. One of the first um, lots of Doctor Who DVDs I got was the limited edition Davros uh, collection they did. And it is fantastic. If you can somehow pick it up, I would highly recommend it. It includes every episode of the classic series that involves Davros. And, at that point, all the audio stories that featured him as well. Including a series I like called I, Davros. Where it completely highlight, um, sorry, highlights, outlines his origins and you know, where he came from. Screw modern Doctor Who and their retconnings of things. Ooh. I, Davros is canon. It's this kind of, um, like, half of it, he isn't even, like, crippled or anything like that. It's just normal Khaled Davros. Oh, yeah, before they became Daleks, uh, the Daleks are called Khaleds. It's, it's Daleks spelled backwards. <gasps> it's the Nilbog rule. Genius. 
It's always so subtle. Nilbog, that's goblin spelled backwards. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's really good. It, it shows how Davros has just been an absolute legitimate, 100% diagnosable psychopath from day one. It also, um, you know, just shows what Khaled culture was like, you know, before, you know, before it was no longer a culture, which is Nazi Germany. Just, 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 just Nazi Germany. You've seen Genesis of the Daleks, and yeah, you know what you're getting in for. Uh, everyone dresses like they're in the SS. You know what really gets on my nerves? The fact that in the sixth episode of this serial, the penultimate episode, it was just Ian and some Thals fanning about in a cave. I know I keep on repeating that word, but that's the only thing that comes to mind. They're fanning about. That's the most painfully British thing I've ever said. I think the uh, the inception of the aforementioned fannying started on the fifth episode too, so it's not even like it's just the entirety of one episode. It's like the end of one bleeding into the entirety of another. They had to milk that set for all it's worth, I know that. But they could have done something a little more interesting than them just walking about the cave, occasionally falling over. They could have stuck a destroyed Dalek or something in there, or part of one. They built the prop. They could have worked something around that, added some action to it, rather than just pure fannying. As I said earlier, the the format for... Well, no, maybe not format. I mean, yes, format, but what's the word I'm looking for? The the way we interact Formula? with... Maybe... I don't know. The, the, the way we interact with this kind of media has changed drastically over the last half century. As yeah, you would hope, it's been like what fifty years coming to like fifty-five or so. so whatever, whatever. It's been a long, long, long time. And back then, you would watch one episode and then watch the next episode a week apart, and then never watch it again until you know home media was was invented. Alternately, uh, later on, you would start reading the novelizations, which again fixed pacing issues, blah blah blah. But what you were not meant to do is watch them all back to back in one afternoon before recording a <laughs> podcast. Yeah. This is the objectively the most, in, yeah, the, the worst way to experience these stories is to binge watch them because that's how we interact with media these days. It makes it feel, it lessens the experience. So yes, we are going to comp- complain about it. Yeah, fanning around, stalling for time. Any review of a classic Doctor Who episode, unless by some miracle, uh, pacing is you know. Ironed out across like seven or eight episodes. I mean, I was watching um, what's it called, the Pirate Planet, uh, by Douglas Adams, and even Douglas Adams wasn't able to fix pacing issues because of that. That's how the format works. That's that was the nature of the medium at the time. Wow, I guess you're kind of right. So what we should do is instead of binging them, what we'll do each week is get together and watch one episode of Doctor Who. And we'll try and dig up some old black and white CRT and hook that up to an HDMI so we get the authentic experience. I know you're being facetious, but I'd really like that. It it sounds really fun. I've seen some guys do that. I've seen someone play Cuphead on it. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's nice and authentic. Because it was was the 60s. It was a very different time. Rationing was still a thing. Uh, Segregation was still a thing. We hadn't discovered colour yet, so the whole world was black and white. Oh, hang about. Wizard of Oz came out in the 30s and that had colour and I keep forgetting that. I keep forgetting we had yes, colour. Yes, that was on a massive budget at the time. Yes, yes, you're right. But I keep forgetting we had the possibility, yeah, the, the technology to do that. England was poor. We couldn't afford colour. No. It's weird that Ultra Q was in black and white, but then Ultraman that came out the same year was in colour. Same year? Yeah, 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 66. Nice.
For some reason, I always thought Ultraman came out a little later. Ultra Q always mm. felt like the prototype for it, for this kind of tokusatsu thing. Right, but no, no, same year. No, it was Ultra Q, uh, Ultra Q and Ultraman 66, then it was Ultra 7 and 67. How apt. I wonder what, uh, I wonder what gave them the idea for the name. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. I mean, at the time, a lot of people didn't own a colour TV, so it wasn't really much of a difference, well, really, if they were to watch At the Ultraman time, a lot of people 66. didn't own a TV. Mm, they had to watch it from the windows of electronic shops. Oh no, they rented them. You Remember renting rent stuff? TVs. Rent, rental TVs, I mean, I, that makes sense, but I have never... It's never been a factor or a thing in my life, so it makes it kind of hard for me to kind of wrap my head around, I guess, because I've always existed in a time where televisions have been affordable to most folks. And so the idea of renting one... I mean, hell, I think the only reason so many people or you know, so many TVs were available in the UK at the time was because of the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Ah, true. Which was actually first... a plot point slash monster in a Doctor Who ah, episode. Ah, yes! That yes. was a good oh. one! Which one was it? Oh, um, Idiot's Lantern, wasn't it? Idiot's Lantern, I think so, yes. I think that was, yeah. That was weird. Wow, what was the what was the thing? She was, fe- oh, that was with the faceless people. She'd suck your face off through the yes. TV to power her or something like that, or just to feed. Yeah, it was a bit bizarre. That was a concept, bit bizarre. But it was, yeah. it was nice and horror-themed and quintessentially yeah. British. And Doctor Who used to be fun. I tried watching as much of the new stuff as I could, and I just... If they had a better actor like Olivia Coleman, I would have been much more on board, but then the writing would still keep dragging it down. I gave up midway through Tenant. I'm I'm fine, okay. I'm happy with everything up till that point that I'm just like, eh, you know what, I'm I'm good, I'll watch some of the older stuff. I've I was having what's that's the best way to word it. I I was kind of half off during Matt Smith's run and towards the end of David Tennant was when I was starting to get a bit iffy with how Doctor Who was getting because I didn't like how constantly doughy-eyed David Tennant was getting and the whole Time Lord Victorious thing rubbed me the wrong way and then the whole I don't want to go thing and I get it, I get that with Russell T. Davis kind of speaking through the character that he created and yes, Rusty absolutely deserved like a, a, a victory lap for resurrecting Doctor Who and making it more successful than ever I just wish he hadn't done it in that way, mm. it just it kind of cheapened everything for me. Matt Smith was not great. Peter Capaldi is a fantastic actor and a former absolute massive fan of Doctor Who, and he got crap to work with. So I feel really bad for him. I keep forgetting that he was the Doctor. Apparently they can't get him back for a uh, an upcoming multi-Doctor story. Apparently that's, that's the rumours. Give me Capaldi and Eccleston in yeah. the room. And, yeah, well, I'll never connect. get Eccleston back. Yeah, I loved Eccleston. Shame. He was amazing. Was he he was tier. the Doctor who was so distant from everyone. He he was darker. He was angrier, but not to the point of being unrealistic and unengaging. Because they tried. So so Chris Eccleston's Doctor is very clearly quite disturbed and cagey and trying to keep everything at arm's length through this veneer of cheery northern glibness. But mm. any time he kind of scratches that surface, any time something knocks it, and he's, it immediately falls away, and you see this broken, damaged, shell-shocked veteran underneath. Oh, his Time War PTSD was impressive. They, they tried to do another, a similar kind of thing with Peter Capaldi, who's all like, Clara, Clara, I'm a good man, Clara. But 
you know, he 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 just come off the tail end of knowing that he saved Gallifrey and didn't kill everyone. Why is it now that he's returning to being all kind of squirrely and cagey and stuff like that? This should that 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 that's what I didn't get about Peter Capaldi's Doctor, and part of the reason why I hated him so much is because he is the one that makes the least sense in terms of his um, demeanor. Like he he absolutely shouldn't be as crotchety and grumpy as he is because he regenerated knowing that he you know, he came off of just knowing that he'd saved everyone and that you know Gallifrey was safe and everything like that and as a side note he shouldn't be happy about saving Gallifrey Gallifrey was horrible did we not watch Trial of a Time Lord uh, right at the mm. tail end he gives he gives the entire court a lecture on how horrific Time Lords are compared to Daleks and Cybermen that's just another one of my little oh, rants. Yeah. All the way through classic Doctor Who. They were just riding his ass all the time. At best, the Time Lords are um, upper-class, exclusionary dicks. Uh, yeah, bureaucrats. And at worst, they are underhanded, deceptive, uh, genocidal maniacs. Uh, just because humanity... Um, was discovering time travel, they uprooted the entire planet and moved it somewhere else, thus incinerating everything on the surface and making everything start again. That was, um, I think that was the first episode in the Trial of a Time Lord arc. They don't really talk about that much. Yeah, that is pretty freaky. And they hired an evil future version of the Doctor to come back and prosecute the current good version of the Doctor in exchange for giving future evil Doctor past good Doctor's future regenerations. Again, they're never... They're never going to bring back the Valyard, unfortunately. That would have been great. Wait, is this the one that was this at the end of um, of Troughton's run? No, 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 no. This was Sixth Doctor's run. Is that Baker? Yeah. Oh, well, yes. Colin Baker, not Tom Baker. It was a Baker. I got that right. Ah, those curls. I feel bad for Colin Baker. He got a real bum deal of it. He had like the shortest run aside from um, uh, Eccleston. He uh, he was fired over the phone. Oh no! And they asked. Oh, yeah. And then they asked him to come back to do the regeneration scene. He told him to get stuffed. Yeah, that's completely understandable. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But he got um, he got vindication in the audio dramas. They kind of managed to work with his character a bit more, make him a lot less abrasive. Um, gave him a new costume, too, partway through. Cool. So he's no longer wearing a, uh, uh, what was it, a gorgeous Technicolor dream coat. It's uh, <laughs> very much kind a of- product of its time. No, it was not a product of its time. It was a product of John Nathan Turner being an absolute weirdo. I I, I, <laughs> I, understand John Nathan Turner to some degree. We both love Hawaiian shirts and wear them exclusively. However, a patchwork quilt coat. J&T really liked costumes rather than clothes for his characters. You know, like the um, the question mark tank top on Sylvester McCoy. The question mark Everything, everywhere, basically, on the lapels, on the handle of his umbrella, that kind of thing. Wow. He loved his branding. So we briefly touched on Christopher Eccleston, who, if you don't know, and it'd be weird that you didn't if you're this far into an episode about Doctor Who, but Christopher Eccleston was the actor who played the Doctor once Doctor Who came back from its... Uh, how long was the hiatus? It was um, 96, I think, was when the Doctor Who TV movie came out. So that would have been, like, what, uh, 19 years? No, that um, wouldn't have been 19 years. That would have been nine years, right? That's about... Uh, yeah, about nine years. Oh, cool. See, I can kind that's of do that. 2005. Math. Wow, I feel old. 
Yeah. And so to com- just just a little brief comp- comparison because I uh, I haven't watched Dalek in a while, but I remember most of it because it is such a good episode. It, it's just nice to kind of compare oh, where amazing. Daleks started and where Daleks kind of were brought back. And so instead of um, being trapped in a whole city that's meant to be ostensibly crawling with Daleks, and yet we only ever see four of them and a few paper cutouts, we have but one Dalek trapped in the underground labyrinth of, what was his name, Henry Van Staten, who owns the internet in the year of our Lord, 2012. I think that was a perfect introduction of a Dalek, though, because it brings back the original horror aspect. It's enough to scare children, because everyone mm. in that episode is running from it, trying to slow it down. It massacres a room full of people in seconds. You can't stop a Dalek. It's slow. It's inevitable, which is why I really hate the flying ones <laughs> a few seasons later. They, don't, yeah, they aren't supposed to go noom. Even when they do you know, lift, they elevate, they do it slowly watching you like watching one go up the stairs yeah no everyone thinks that um dalek is the one that first has um daleks floating but it's actually the uh sylvester mccoy episode that did that way back in the 80s oh was that the one with the um, imperials versus rebels yep yeah man i really love those designs just so good everything about them is so good and the special weapons dalek is just i love it i love it so much it's a big old big old cannon gun on it so yeah, no, it's it's basically the doctor picks up a distress signal and goes to investigate it. You would think he would recognise a Dalek signal, but apparently he doesn't. So he he teleport. He, yeah, the TARDIS materialises in the collection. He he sees like a a second Doctor Cyberman helmet, and he's all like, "Oh, I remember that." The this, the classic series is canon now, everyone. And then they uh, they get captured, Yay. and he. I can't remember how it happens, but they they end up shoving him in the same cell as the um, as the Dalek, which oh, yeah. Van Staten's calling the Metaltron. And you don't know it's a Dalek to begin with. All you see is a glowing blue light, and then the Doctor introduces himself, and then that gets the Dalek activated. Because up until then, they hadn't been able to get it to talk. And as soon as the Dalek recognised that it was oh, in the same room yeah. as the Doctor, it starts going absolutely ape. And that is a fan. It's just seeing the Doctor's genuine horror and fear as he realizes he's locked in the same room as a Dalek. It really it, yes, it, it he's communicates on the, to the audience, pleading to be let out, and communicates the Dalek is screaming audience. to exterminate him. And you hmm. can feel the tension in that room. Yeah, it really kind of gets it. Lets new audiences know that we should be, you know, we should respect this thing, and we should understand that it is absolutely terrifying to be anywhere close to let alone locked in the same room as and you can it, it's it's I don't know, it's kind of funny seeing Definitely. how the first doctor reacts to daleks to the ninth doctor you know the first doctor is kind of confused and bemused by them and just kind of goes along with whatever's happening and kind of slowly figures out that they suck and should probably be stopped with the ninth doctor who alternates between wanting to run away and kill them on sight Oh, yeah. You can tell Eccleston's Doctor has been through some stuff. I think even there's a point where he tries to torture it as well, using the same rod that um, Van Staten's men have been using. I think it's quite a decent moment where he starts kind of gloating at it, because obviously it makes him look like an absolute psycho, but you can can understand why he would feel that way once he realises that the Dalek is helpless and the last one, and that it is absolutely pathetic. You would 
you can forgive him for the, you know kind of gloating over mm. this, this this menace that can't even shoot. Somehow Rose touches it, and because she's a time traveler, that starts it being able to repair itself, which I it doesn't quite make sense. But um, you know, we, yeah, we that's a weird, really weird aspect of Dalek technology that was never mentioned before. It can somehow absorb biological time matter from travel. I was thought it was time oh, travel. No, I thought it's because it was able to. No, I um, think take a copy I think of you're herself. right. I yeah, think you're so right because then it starts being a bit more human towards the end. Again, yeah, it, it that's, sort of that's pretty antithetical. Itself. That's pretty antithetical to the whole Dalek, you know, thing. Well, that's why it wanted to kill itself near the end. Yes. But why would they even? Why would they give themselves that kind of ability? I'm assuming that um, it would allow them to be touched by another Dalek or something, or transferring of material. And I'm guessing there's just no um, what's the word? No sort of fail safes to keep a non-Dalek from doing it. And so it's more along the lines of any um, biological matter will do, especially because it's one of those generic foot soldier Daleks. So as long as it's able to repair itself and keep on fighting, it's fine. It's like why. Um, during some of the later plots and stuff, humans were turned into Daleks. And so they yeah. were being used as the foot soldiers because they were expendable. And frankly, because they knew that they were part human and hated themselves, they sort of used that anger to their advantage. Yeah, if they couldn't get the um, permission to use the Daleks for that episode, they uh, were going to use Cybermen, which makes a lot more sense now with the whole turning humans into Daleks type thing. That would be creepy as hell. Oh, yeah. I really didn't like the um, way they reintroduced the Daleks in the alternate universe thing. You mean Cybermen? Yeah, da- yes, yeah, Cy- Daleks, Cybermen. Shoot! Wow. Yeah, they they uh, both occupy that those kind of top levels on the kind of Doctor Who pantheon of, of baddies. Oh, yeah. You can't really... I, I, yeah. I didn't mind it being like an actual parallel universe, because that parallels the fact that the original Cybermen came from a, uh, a rogue twin planet of Earth. Of course, I, they, they, as soon as they came back like a second time, I was just kind of like, okay, okay cool, can we have the Prime timeline Cybermen back, please? I kind of don't like the Prime ones looked like the. Yeah, I really don't like corporate. I, I don't like Cybermen with corporate logos on them. I, I, yeah. it, it just bugs me. I don't like them having like the Cybus Industries logo on their chest. We're we're back to Prime timeline Cybermen now, but. They've got, like, super speed or some... Oh, wait, no, hang about. That was... Okay, so Matt Smith's run, they got super speed, like, super flash speed powers somehow, and they could do the whole, you know, 2,000 speed up, slow down. Not 2,000, um, 300. Very different oh, numbers. Oh, God. And now the Master has used them. them. The Master has now used them to take over zombie Time Lords. Oh, God. Yeah. The zombie aspect of it just feels silly. Thanks, it completely Chibnall. removes the initial horror. It's like the same gripe I had with making Daleks move quickly. They're supposed to be slow. They're supposed to be inevitable. That's one thing mm-hmm. I did like from the ultimate, the, the, the alternate universe ones, is that they had that very distinctive sound when they walked, and so they just slowly marched toward you. That was scary as hell. They oh, yeah. definitely worked they didn't well on run. the horror side of things. And, oh, Christ, I think at one point they gave them jetpacks. I'm thinking, no... Did they? Oh, uh, yeah. They probably did. It. That's why they gave him jetpacks or something, or flight or some some probably. Rubbish. It would make sense for them to have like a purpose-built, uh, like paratrooper variant or some. I think. Little, oh, yeah. little tangent here. Little tangent here. I think Cybermen have been taken massively off course from what they were originally. If you watch the Tenth Planet, their entire motivation is to make 
all of humanity like them, not out of some kind of Borgian desire to kind of assimilate all cultures and individuality into one um, hive mind entity, but to improve everyone's standards of living. The Cybermen originally were doing all of this for our own good because they couldn't conceive of anyone wanting to live uh, a fallible mortal existence full of emotion and pain. And I th- think they... you explained it to me really good by mentioning that Daleks were the stand-in for the Nazis, Cybermen were the stand-in for communism. Yeah. I I don't know if that last one, uh, the Cybermen thing, was intentional or not. I haven't seen any interviews where they confirm this, but it, it, it kind of fits... I think it fits. The uh, the in the tenth planet, the Cybermen just can't. It's not that they're evil; they just have a completely different view of morality, and I think they've kind of made them a bit too much, like a bit too much, kind of like the Borg, I guess. They're just I don't know what I'm trying to say. I, I just don't like how they're being portrayed. I think they're a bit too s- space empirey. Yeah. Then again, that was kind of the the way they did it in the. Sort of the later classic Doctor Who. You're there was right. Always like some I... sort of Cyberman Empire, and they always had their space armadas. The issue here is that something in the past has bugged me. I can't. Im- I can't remember exactly what has bugged me. So, just completely disregard everything I just said about that. Because if I can't explain or justify my feelings on the subject, then they are clearly invalid. So, just that was the prattlings of a of a, of a fool. Oh yeah, this is definitely going into the recording. This ain't being cut. But I know what you mean, though. I, I like their Carmen original Ranger way of from doing Earth things from before they became militant. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's that, yeah. I, again, I'm I'm an idiot, so don't pay attention to me. Just That was like five minutes of your time wasted, dear listener. You're welcome. No, it wasn't wasted. You got to listen to my dulcet tones. wasted five minutes of your life. If you want those five minutes back, please email spandexpowerarmor at gmail.com. You know what dogs used to have to fly around? They used to have little... Uh, little Little platforms that would fly for them. See, that kind of makes sense. I mean, it's it's a vehicle. A vehicle's fine because then, in order to get you, they have to exit the vehicle. Mm. Then they have to chase you through the buildings. That's where it gets scary. Yeah, Daleks. You can run away from a Dalek, but you cannot run away from the Daleks. Yeah, there, there's something inevitable about them. You can run. You can hide. Hide. You can reach the other of side time. of the rainbow. <laughs> you can try and resist them. But eventually they will, you know, catch you unawares and kill you. You know, I think they should do a Dalek TV series. I think now is the time to do a Dalek TV series, like Terry Nation always wanted to do. And just have it set during one of the many Dalek wars between, you know, Daleks and the, you know, whatever human empire is at the time. They mention them more often yeah, cool. in the in the audio stuff, but they do... Have, they are seen partially in these classic series, like... Um, I never remember Dalek episode titles because after a while it was always just the something of the Daleks, the this of the Daleks, the that of the Daleks. So Planet of the Daleks, Power of the Daleks, Terror of the Daleks, mm. Genesis of the Daleks, Revelation of the Daleks, blah, blah, blah. This is the um, the Fifth Doctor um, Davros episode. And I think that takes place either during or just after one of the Dalek Wars. And then the fourth, the second fourth Doctor Davros episode takes place during a lull between Dalek Wars because the Daleks are locked in a stalemate with the Mavellans, which is a race of androids. And because they were so logical, they were locked in an eternal stalemate because they just couldn't 
out-plan one another because they'd always predict and counter perfectly. I can totally see that for a spin-off hmm. series of some human empire versus the Daleks. Get rid of the yeah. Doctor. It's sort of like Torchwood, except it is um, a serious sci-fi thing of humans versus Daleks. You can add a really good um, story arc in that. Yeah, and it would you, you could flesh out the world. I mean, obviously, you could you could probably have some other characters drop by. I mean, I don't know. I think it would be neat. I mean, hell, have some Silurians in there. That's something I really wish we'd see in like some future of humanity, where the Silurians and the Sea Devils finally get to rejoin the surface world. Yeah, that would be cool. Sort of like a get your own little federation kind of thing. Yeah. Oh no, I re- I just want to recreate Star Trek in in Doctor Who. <laughs> You do. Let's bring in yeah. the Raxacorico Falpatorians while we're at it. No, 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 no. Screw them. Uh, make, make it hey, like a like a cool. no. no. Y- yes, they are, but not what I want at the moment. Just make it like a, a solar system alliance because you got the um, you got Venusians, you've got um, oh the ice you, you warriors got, as well. Yeah. The ice warriors on Mars, yeah. Yeah, no, just just have a little little, little kind of space union for our uh, solar system. That'd be pretty neat. Oh, we'll yeah, never get it though. I can dig we'll that. Never get it. That sounds cool. Yes, and as such, they will never do it because it sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> Still, I suppose I can't complain. I don't pay my license fee, so I don't have any say in this. <laughs> You're before an you start calling the, the police, prepare to be before you start calling the police, listeners, that's completely legal. You can opt out to not pay the license fee. It's just that the BBC will never stop hounding you for the end of your days if you do. <laughs> That just reminds me of a skit out of The Young Ones in the 80s, where in order to avoid paying the license fee, they get Vivian to eat the TV. <laughs> and then the guy oh, eventually I'm... breaks into the house to prove it, and you just see the power lead sticking out of his mouth. And <laughs> he implies that this is something that people do all the time. Eat the telly. Yeah, you're not safe. <laughs> oh, mate, you got a license for that telly. Like being a toaster. <laughs> We've really got off uh, off topic on, on Daleks. We should just do a whole episode on Doctor Who in general, because we've got a lot to talk about. I have a lot to talk about. Well, what were we just talking about before this massive tangent? Fanning about in a cave. I yeah, think at oh, that wow. point we are, we are now finished with this little arc, I guess. I mean, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Oh. It was nice to see the original Dalek episode. There were some really cool elements to it. But there's just a lot about fannying about in caves. That's the nature of the beast, though, as I said. It's just how how you do. So, if you've uh, enjoyed this, if you've also watched the original run with the Daleks, or if you would like to just discuss it with someone, if you want to see what it's like, please um, hit us up on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. Um, Yeah, I mean, we've differed greatly from our usual slog with um, Japanese stuff, but... Hey, Doctor Who is still pretty culturally significant. Everyone seems to be aware of it. And, you know, Daleks, pretty cool. They are the staple bad guy. Do you have any opinions on it? Do you like the old stuff? Do you like the uh, stuff they've done with the new Daleks? Just engage with us, because, yeah, this is a great big pot of discussion. And if we have some inputs from the outside world, it's not just going to be um, uh, Mr. Kamen Ranger here complaining about (laughs) New Who. Yeah, I'd just like to use these last few seconds of the podcast to say that Rewa era Doctor Who sucks, Showa era forever. <laughs> oh, there is no escape from the Showa.